Good morning again. Merry Christmas. You'll notice that we did not dismiss the kids to junior worship. Um, they'll be, you'll be staying with us, kids, so hopefully you were able to get your own copy of the sermon notes that has some stuff to do on it. And, um, and yeah, and so those are available for you. If you didn't get them, you can get them in the, in the foyer. This Christmas season, we have been doing a series called The Road to Christmas, in which we have been talking about what brought each member of the Christmas story to that place. We've been talking about the fact that most people in the world were completely unaffected by that first Christmas morning, but a small group of people were forever transformed. And the same is true for Christmas today, that every year we have this season that happens And for most of the world, they will be completely back to the way they were before by the time January hits. I don't know. My my wife's birthday is on January 7th, so we have to keep the... Oh, sorry, 8th. (laughs) 8th. James, February 7th. Casey, January 8th. We have to keep Christmas lights up at least that long. But at some point, we will put away the Christmas lights. (laughs) We will put away the Christmas lights... And we will have, um, you know, played with the presents, and the kids will go back to school, and things will go back to normal. And it will be in a way like it never happened. But it is possible for us to actually be transformed by Christmas. And I believe every year some people are. And so the question is, how do we choose to be that, those people, those kinds of people who are transformed? And so we've been looking at the example of the people who played roles in the Christmas story. We talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. We talked about Mary, we talked about Joseph, we talked about the Magi. Last night, we talked about the shepherds. Today, we're going to talk about the baby. Because unlike most of us, the story of Jesus does not begin with his conception and birth. It actually goes back far beyond that. And he, while none of us got to choose when we were born or to whom or where or any of the circumstances of our birth, he did. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the way the Gospel of John introduces us to the story of Christmas and telling the story of how Jesus came to be in this place. So I'm going to read us again uh, John chapter 1, and then we're going to unpack the story of the baby. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only God, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So the story of Jesus begins long before his birth, which is what makes it tricky talking about him. It's funny that the Sunday that the kids are here, we're going to get into the Trinity and the Incarnation, two of the most complicated things to talk about as Christians. 
So we'll see how that goes. Um, but Jesus is how we talk about um, the man who was also God. But before there was Jesus, that person still existed. Before he was named Jesus, he still existed. And giving a name to that person uh, can be tricky. But the name that John gives us is the word, or in Greek, it's logos. And that word is incredibly difficult to translate. There is no great way to translate it into a single English word. Logos can mean logic, it can mean thought, it can mean word, it can mean the study of something. When you talk about geology, um, that L-O-G-Y, that's logos. And so it can actually be really tricky to translate, but one of the translations... And so when, when John talks about him, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And one of the translations that I've heard recently that I really like is voice. Because the important thing with Word, it's, it's God speaking. Uh, it's talking about what God does when he speaks. And so before Jesus became human, he was the voice of God. That is a, a valid translation of the word Logos. Okay, so, Jesus was the voice of God. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> How long do you have? Um, here's all, I'm going to do just a brief thing about the Trinity that hopefully is helpful. Okay? When I talk about the Trinity, I actually it's very convenient. I usually talk about a flame. I happen to have five of them right here. Here's the thing about a flame. Okay? So, a, there, is, there are different parts of the flame. There is the chemical reaction that's happening on the wick that is converting matter into energy. Okay? And then, that chemical reaction, that thing that's happening right here, there's light coming off of it, right? So that's how you can see it. That's we use candles for light. There's light coming out of it. And sometimes if it's a small enough flame, you can barely see it because if there wasn't light coming out of it, you wouldn't be able to see the flame, right? But then the other way that you know that the candle's lit is you can feel the heat. And those three things are all connected, the, the heat and the light come from the flame. You can't separate out, you can't put out the, the, the candle and still have the light. And when you put out the candle, the heat lingers a little while, but it eventually fades. Right? They're, they all go together. When we talk about God, it works the same way. That you have God the Father is the flame. He is the source of everything. He is the chemical reaction, the, the, the thing in the center. But then if, when you see God, that's Jesus. Jesus is the light. So when God is moving and acting and doing things in the world, that's Jesus. And when you feel God, the heat from the candle, that's the Holy Spirit. Now, they are distinct people, but just like the heat and the light and the flame are distinct things, but they all go together and they work together. So when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the voice of God is the part of God that acts and creates. The voice of God is the part of, of him that speaks, acts, and creates. This is what John tells us. He says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing ha- uh, was made that has been made. And even in the Old Testament, they talk about God this way. They say, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So the voice, so Jesus, before he was Jesus, he was the part of God that speaks, acts, and creates. And in, uh, we get another picture of this in Colossians. Because what we're, what we're trying to understand is what was Jesus doing before he came here? 
Okay? And in Colossians it says, In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now what it's saying there is two things that are going on. One is he created everything. But we have this idea that the universe just operates on its own, like it's a top that you spin and it just keeps going, or like a clock that you wind and it's just going to keep going and things happen because of this series of cause and effect. But what the Bible actually tells us is that God is actively involved in keeping things going. He created everything, but then he didn't walk away. He is intimately involved in everything that goes on in his creation, and that's Jesus doing that. And because we know that whenever God acts, that's Jesus, you can actually go back into the Old Testament and read passages and realize that that's Jesus, right? So, for instance, let's look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104 talks about God's role in creation, and it says, He set the earth on its foundations that can never be moved. He covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And at his rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of his thunder, they took to flight. They, mowed, they flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place he assigned for them. Now this picture of God, like he makes the foundation and then he throws out this blanket of water and then he smooths it out and tells it where to go. And I don't know if you've read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia in the first volume when, um, when Aslan goes out and sings and everything is created around him. Or I like to imagine Jesus like a painter, like he's got one of those easels and he's, you know, like, all right, we'll put some stars here and we'll make the mountains here and some happy little trees over here. And, and I just, in whatever, however you want to imagine it, just doing this amazing thing of creating everything, just at a word, at a whim, like an artist, just creating all of these things, right? But then he doesn't put away his paint kit and just leave. He continues to be involved. So, for instance, this chapter continues to say, he waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil that makes their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So notice what's going on here. This is actually really cool. When I, I had a, a, a light bulb moment here. So it says, it starts out, he sends his water on the mountains. It flows down and it waters the ground. Then he causes the water and the ground to cultivate plants. Plants grow up. Human beings take the plants and they make them into useful things like oil and bread and wine. Now, do you notice what just happened? Jesus sends water. Start with water. Goes on to the mountains. You're ahead of me. Goes on to the mountains, runs down, waters the plants. The plants grow up. The plants turn into wine. Jesus is in, always in the process of turning water into wine. You see that? One of the cool things, C.S. Lewis talks about how Jesus, when Jesus does a miracle, he's showing you in like a split second what he normally just does in creation over a long period of time. That means that all wine on earth has been turned into, has come from water from Jesus, right? That's just what he does. He's in the business of turning water into wine. And this is who Jesus is, and this is what he does. As God's voice, Jesus created and cared for everything in the universe. That's what he was doing. That was his existence before he became a baby. And I think it's important for us to understand that as we look at the jump that he made. Okay? Because now we're going to look at how that, that creator of, and sustainer of the universe ended up as a baby in a feeding trough. 
The journey of Jesus begins, if you, if you unpack what the Bible says about it, it actually begins with a command. Jesus is very clear during his earthly ministry that he is here because he was told to come here. Does God so love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus multiple times talks about how he was sent by the Father. He was told to come. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't want to come. But ultimately, and this is important for where the significance of this story, the Father told him, the Father sent Jesus to earth, and Jesus obeyed. Whether, if he hadn't wanted to come, he still would have, because the Father told him. Now, he came out of genuine love for all of us. But this is just, it is important for what we're supposed to learn from this story, that the Father sent him, and he obeyed. That's, that's what happens, right? The flame sends the light. So he sent him to do what? John, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became flesh. Now, here's an, an important thing to recognize. If you, my, my kids actually got a book of Greek mythology for Christmas. For kids, right? And when you read in Greek mythology about gods becoming people, they're putting on human suits, right? They're pretending to be a human being for a certain amount of time. They're, they're just a god in a human suit. But that is not what happened with Jesus. He is, not a, he is not God just pretending to be limited like us. Paul says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He took on the very nature of a servant. That means he was a human being with all the same limitations that we have. Did you know that Jesus did not have special God powers because he was God the Son? He didn't get special advantages because he was God the Son. The, the Gospels tell us that the miracles he performed were through the power of the Holy Spirit which is the exact same power that enabled anyone in the Bible to do miracles. It was because he was an obedient person that he was able to perform miracles, but not because he had superpowers that just made life easier for him. And I think it's important for us to recognize he's not just God in a human suit. He actually is a human being. So let me, this is one of the exercises we did in seminary, and it is jarring, and I don't apologize for that, okay? God, imagine Jesus as the, you know, the creator of everything, going out and painting happy little trees with a paintbrush and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, that's one thing that definitely happened. Now, here's one thing that definitely happened to him because it happened to me last week. Jesus went from that to at some point catching a stomach flu and just heaving his guts out on the ground. Chunks in his beard. Just puking till he cried, right? This happened to Jesus. Guaranteed, Probably a lot because they did not have good water quality back then. Why they drank so much wine because you couldn't trust the water. But I want you to look at the juxtaposition from Jesus being the creator of the universe to Jesus heaving his guts out until he's too weak to stand and just laying there just weeping. That would have happened to him. The whole human cycle happened to Jesus. You know, he probably didn't look like a Swedish supermodel with a beard. Probably looked like a normal person. Jesus took on all of our weakness, everything that is uncomfortable about our existence. In fact, even 
in the first century, he came at a time when things were especially uncomfortable. And then out of all the places in that time he could have come, he came to a place and to a family where it was like the very bottom of the rung, right? Like his family was poor in a poor part of the Roman Empire. Like when they, when they circumcised Jesus, they pay the poor people temple tax. So look at the difference in where he came from to where he went. Jesus gave up his comfortable uh, existence in heaven to come and be with us in, in the most uncomfortable circumstances imaginable. With no advantages, no protection from, from the miseries of human life. And why did he do this? John tells us he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So he came to make us children of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's another uh, way that Mark puts it, or Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Mark. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to be with us, to serve us, and save us. Now, this is another place where we might be uncomfortable with the imagery. The disciples certainly were. He came to save us, and we like that because there's dignity in that. But he came to serve us. And have you done a foot washing ceremony and been just profoundly uncomfortable with someone washing your feet? Now imagine it's Jesus. He actually came to serve. To wash your feet in a time when they walked everywhere. Like imagine the most disgusting, demeaning job, and Jesus came to do it. That's who he is. That's what he did. Now the question is, what are we supposed to learn from this? As we see what Jesus did on Christmas, what it means for him to be a baby here, what do we learn from this? Well, very often we don't quite go far enough in learning from this story. Because what we learn from that, and usually what we emphasize, is look how much Jesus loves you. Right? For God so loved the world. This is, this is how much Jesus loves me. Isn't it amazing? And that's true. But that's not enough. That doesn't go far enough. There's a great Advent poem by a guy named W.H. Auden, and in it he imagines um, Herod thinking through why he's going to try and stop the Messiah from coming, all the bad consequences of someone like Jesus coming to save us from our sins. And he says, every corner boy will congratulate himself. I'm such a sinner that God had to come down in person to save me. I must be a devil of a fellow. Every crook will argue, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Like If we don't go far enough, we might think that this is actually about how big of a deal I am or how much God loves me. It must be, isn't it great that I'm loved this much? But that's not the full extent of the message. In fact, when Paul brings this story up, he's not talking about how much God loves us. When Paul brings up the journey that Jesus went through to go from heaven to earth, he's actually talking about us and what we're supposed to do. That poem that I, started, that I read part of where it talks about him um, not considering Godhood something to use to his own advantage, but he became a servant, it begins this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's the shocking, really uncomfortable thing about the Christmas story. The story of Jesus is an example that God wants us to follow. 
this story of Jesus going from this amazing, comfortable, privileged place in heaven and becoming a baby in a manger is a story that we are supposed to reenact. An example that we're supposed to follow. After all, when Jesus was resurrected on Easter Sunday, he appeared to the disciples and he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus was sent, and in the exact same way, we are sent. Jesus explicitly makes that connection. Exactly what the Father said to me, I'm now saying to you. Exactly the mission God gave to me, I'm giving to you. So just like Jesus, we have been sent to serve others. In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that he came to to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve. We are called to to care for others, we are called to follow the example of Jesus. And ultimately, to be like Jesus, we have to serve others even when it's hard or uncomfortable. There are a lot of obstacles that will come up as we face opportunities to serve others. It's not really convenient right now. I have, I have somewhere I have to be. Um, maybe, maybe next time. Next time. I'll get it next time, God. I promise. Serving others is usually not comfortable and it's usually not convenient. If it was comfortable and convenient, it would already be getting done. But we are called to serve others. I'll give you an example. This is a very, very small example, okay? But it's an example. A couple, so uh, when I first came here and preached my very first sermon as a senior minister, I talked about, we were pregnant with our first child, James, and I talked about how excited I was for the day when I would get to give my son his Legos or my Legos, and say, let's play with these. Let's see what you can do. And James did not disappoint. And now Charlie's in the mix, and she's, she loves them too. And, and so we have a table covered in Lego studs, and they play with the Legos that I've given them. But we also have Daddy's Legos. Now, these are the Legos that are still complete sets. And I recognize they're toys, so it's not like I don't let them play with them, but I put them on a shelf so that we can get them down and play with them at designated times, and then I can make sure to put them back together and put them back on the shelf so that they don't end up just random pieces, which is what happened to all my stuff when I was a kid. Okay? So sometimes James will ask to play with Daddy's Legos, and so I'll take him into our bedroom and I'll put him on the bed and I'll get him the spaceships that he wants. But I realize, because I'm a flawed human being, that over time my excitement for this kind of waned, and a couple weeks ago I found myself giving him his toys and then getting distracted by other things that I needed to do. And so I was in the room in case, because if, if something breaks and he can't put it back together, he says, I need help, I need help, and I'll come over and fix it. But I wasn't really doing anything with him. And I suddenly felt very convicted that this was not what I had been excited about when I was looking forward to being a dad. And so I told James to close his eyes, and I took three ships, and I put them down on the ground around the bed, and I, I set them up in particular ways, and then I told James to open his eyes and to pick a Lego character, and I picked one, and then I got him down on the ground, and we walked our Lego characters around the bed and encountered these Lego sets that were on the ground, and we had adventures with them, 
and we did different things. And, and we spent about half an hour just playing with those. And it was a completely different experience. And it was a connection, it was a way of connecting that was a world away from me just giving James my Legos and letting him go off in a corner and play while I scrolled through my phone. Sometimes we think of God that way as someone who has given us the world and then is standing off in the corner scrolling through his phone. But in reality, Christmas tells us that God is getting down on the ground with us to play with those toys with us. And so when I did that with my son, for one moment, in one small way, I was being a little bit more like God because I put away the distractions I put away the things that were less important, and I, I didn't particularly feel like playing with Legos at the time. Otherwise, I would have been already doing it with him. But I took time, and we played, and it was an amazing thing that we've done multiple times since now. I give that example because it's a very simple, practical example. And also because my hope is that James will then start to do the same kind of thing with Charlie. Here's the thing. I don't care how old you are in this room. You have opportunities to serve the way Jesus serves. If there, was, if there is someone smaller than you, weaker than you, if there is someone having a harder day than you, if there is someone who has a need that you can address, if there's someone that you can make smile, you have an opportunity to serve. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. That's the mission. And what we're going to be doing this coming, uh, starting in January, is I'm going to be challenging you every week to seek opportunities to serve in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And it's grounded in this fact, that we serve a God who came here to serve us, and we are called to follow his example, to be like him. And it all flows out of what Jesus did when he set aside his glory to be a humble baby so he could serve and save us. Amen. As I invite the worship team up, I'm going to ask you to consider um, what God is putting on your heart today. It's Christmas, so you probably have a lot of things on your heart. You probably have you know, the timer for the oven on your mind and different traditions that you're going to be doing. But for now, take a moment to consider what opportunities do you have to serve? What opportunity is God bringing to your mind that he's wanting you to say yes to? And if there isn't something coming to mind, then maybe what God is putting in front of you is one of the, the opportunities that we have here at the church, which is if you haven't given your life to Jesus, that's what God wants you to do today. He wants you to give your life to Jesus. And we'd love to talk with you after the service if that's where you're at, if that's what God is putting on your heart, then we would love to walk you through that. If you're online, we encourage you to get in touch with the church or to talk with a Christian that you know and trust. If you want to get more connected with this congregation, with this family that is working together to encourage each other and strengthen each other to be like Jesus, I mean, that's who we are, and we'd love to connect you. Um, you can place your membership. You can start, join one of our classes or our small groups. You can fill out one of the grow cards uh, on the seat back in front of you. And if you want to, have, to find out what opportunities there are for you to serve others, either others in the church or others in the community through what the church is doing, we have a card for uh, serving, and you can fill that out as well. So I encourage you to be open as we sing our final song. Uh, open your heart to what God may be calling you to do today. Let's stand and sing.